Greetings to those who watch below. Today we're going to continue our paranormal road trip of the US. This time we're heading to Wyoming. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership you can check out using the link in the description box. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B, Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, Chris BLK Chris, Kenopsia, Tegan S, Tasos Karamaris, and LT Punisher 666. Also, if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the channel, hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. And if you liked a video, make sure to leave it a thumbs up, and also feel free to share it on your social media. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. White glowing eyes watching me, activity escalating, by Little Bell. It started on August 15th. I felt like someone was watching me, which is not unusual in my home. It is active with a very specific spirit, who I believe used to be an owner of the house, and is very particular of how he likes things arranged, and moves about the house without malice or intent. The new spirit, or spirits, is different. At first it was just a glimpse of white eyes peeking through the window. The following morning I measured and they would have had to be five feet for their eyes to line up with the edge of the window. I checked for footprints and any sign of disturbance as they would have had to be standing in my garden. On the evening of the 16th my dog went and sat in the window and stared at these eyes for about 30 seconds before they blinked a few times and went away. This pattern followed for a few nights, at different times in the evening, in different windows. Every time I locked eyes with one, I felt overwhelming sorrow and sympathy. This happened for a few nights. The evening of the 18th, I took some photos in my bedroom because I felt like I was being watched. I caught a photo of these eyes standing at about three or four foot right inside my doorway. I didn't feel threatened but more confused on how or why they had moved into my home. The next morning on the 19th, I spoke to a friend about it as I had captured photos. She was very pessimistic about what this spirit could be and expressed her concern. She thinks the eyes are too far apart to be human. She thinks it's an animal spirit, but cannot explain the height. The evening of the 19th, there were two sets of eyes outside my window, and another sat in the spare bedroom at three foot, looking at me, making three visible pairs of eyes at this one time. I smudged the house this morning, hoping to push them outside. At 10pm when I came to write this down and ask if anyone has had similar experiences, there are five pairs of eyes visible at one time, one pair inside the kitchen and four in the windows. I'm not yet frightened by them, but confused, on why their activity grew exponentially over the course of five days. I have tried to contact them and speak to them and ask them what is wrong, and they just continue to stare and blink. They never stay more than 45 seconds or a minute. I only see them once an evening, excluding the pair I saw in my bedroom. The San Pedro Mummy for generations, medicine men of the Crow, Shoshone, and Arapaho tribes have told stories of a mythical race of supernatural beings that performed feats of amazing physical strength. 
According to legend, the being stood less than two feet high. For more than a century, the story of the Little People was just a tall tale to the pioneers. In October 1932, amateur gold prospectors Cecil Main and Frank Carr were exploring the San Pedro Mountains in Wyoming when they found an unusual mummified figure in a cave. It was six inches high and in a sitting position. It had a flattened skull and brown skin, with wisps of grey hair coming from the back of the head. They believed that it may have been part of the race of little people. Several days later, Maine returned alone to the cave and took it, despite the fact that the cave was a sacred Native American burial site. The discovery made headline news in the area. Some Wyoming residents believed that one of the Native American tribes had previously placed it within the cave. Maine did not seem to care what the mummy was, he was just interested in selling it. He soon found a buyer, insurance salesman Homer Sherrill. In 1934, he purchased it for $25 and then took it on the road. He used it as part of a sideshow attraction, charging 25 cents for a gander. It remained on attraction for several years. In 1936, it ended up with Floyd Jones, who owned a drugstore in Mititsi. He displayed it in his store for several years. In the mid-1940s, used car salesman Ivan Goodman saw it at the store. He bought it from Jones for over a thousand dollars. In 1950, Goodman brought the mummy to Dr. Paul Martin of the Chicago Museum of Natural History for analysis. He took photos and x-rays of it. The x-rays revealed that it had a complete skeletal structure, as well as a full set of teeth. Initially, it appeared to be the mummified remains of a fully developed human being, which happened to be 17 inches tall. However, after reviewing all of the material, Dr. Martin came to a different conclusion. He believed that it was an infant that suffered from anencephaly. This is a condition in which infants are born without a brain and lack a complete skull. As a result, they may take on the physical appearance of an adult. However, researcher Eugene Bashaw claimed that other experts believed that the malformed skull could have been the result of a blow to the head. According to one expert, there were pieces of skull in the scalp that were hanging down, as if it were beat down as a result of trauma. Bashaw further claimed that the scientists he spoke with believed that the mummy had other adult characteristics. He noted that it had a full prominent set of teeth, while an infant would have two sets of undeveloped teeth in the jaw. However, anthropologist George Gill stated that the experts he talked to believed that it was an anencephalic infant. In October of 1950, Goodman loaned the mummy to Dr. Leonard Wadler, the alleged curator of a New York museum. Goodman believed that he could make a great amount of money if Wadler could prove it was a North American relative of the Pygmies, a race of people in Africa and Asia who stand four to five feet tall in height. However, Goodman died of a sudden stroke a short time later. Wadler kept the money, and some have speculated that Wadler was not a doctor and was actually a con artist. To date, no one is quite sure what the mummy is or what has happened to it. It was last seen in Florida with Wadler in 1975 and has never been relocated. Gill hopes that it can be found so that it can be analysed using modern scientific techniques, such as DNA analysis and carbon dating. 
Native Americans, meanwhile, hope that it can be recovered for its spiritual value. In their view, the sacred burial site was disturbed. Ultimately, they would like to return it to an appropriate resting place. Hush by Sarah Bell I'm sure we've all realised in our lifetime that when you're alone, everything seems more scary, and things that normally wouldn't happen, happen. This story takes place a little over... Well, it started like four or five years ago, I suppose, and hasn't stopped since. Let's start with saying that my first love had moved, but was on a trip back to Wyoming to see me when he was killed in a car accident in Phoenix, Arizona. We had gotten into a fight the night before, and I told him not to bother coming anymore. But, being as hard-headed as he was, he came anyway. I don't understand, because he always wore a seatbelt, but for whatever reason, he didn't have it on that morning. He was 17 at the time. I got a phone call the next morning from his mother, and I was devastated. For those of you who know the pain of a loved one lost, I'm sorry. For those of you that don't know, I pray you never have to find out. About three months after the incident, I'd start waking up gasping for breath. If you've ever had that feeling where you wake up suddenly, usually at 3am, well, for me at least, you have that terrible feeling in your body like something just awful is near you. You're terrified to move or hardly even breathe. Eyes finally open, adjusting to the dark, I'd see nothing. I was so scared, I just wanted to cry. And once I think I did start crying, then the feeling would automatically shrink, and I'd notice her figure in the corner of my room. I thought if anyone was in the house, it'd be best to warn everyone by a scream rather than sit there silently. I quickly turned on my bedside lamp and turned back to where the figure had been to find nobody there. I thought I'd lost my marbles. This went on for the next two years, but eventually, somewhere along in those two years, I got used to it. The figure would never harm me and just seemed to make the bad feeling in my room go away, so I figured it was my sweetheart or a guardian angel just watching over me. At least, that's what I like to believe, to keep what was left of my sanity. Well, shortly after my 16th birthday, things changed. A couple of friends and I had decided to go on an adventure out to the Chinese tunnels. The Chinese tunnels are an urban legend of haunted railroad tracks right outside Evanston, Wyoming. Long story short, the Chinese workers were used to build the tunnels, and when they died, they were buried within the walls. If you go there at night, you can hear crying, whispers, and occasionally even see shadows walking around. We had gone there tons of times, and we'd tell scary stories before we'd go in to get an even better scare. Of course, we'd see things and hear voices, but nothing real bad ever happened, until my friends bought in a video camera. We were taunting whatever was in there. Show yourself! and I don't believe in ghosts, and finally, come get me, and taking pictures of the walls. And down the way, shadows were lighting up with every flash of the camera. Meanwhile, I'm looking like a goober yelling, they don't mean it, they're just trying to scare themselves, please don't take it the wrong way. When suddenly, at the other end of the tunnel, I see something running towards us. The idiots turn and start recording, and I take off running out to the truck, not even 30 seconds later, they come running to the truck as well, 
then we tore out of there. We get back to my house and look through the pictures, finding nothing but a bunch of dust floating around. No floating spirits, no red eyes, no sharp teeth. But then we watch the video. You can hear the occasional curse of one of my friends as they realise what we were looking at, and then too much shaking to realise what's going on. But we pause the video at just the right time to see a dark, humanly disfigured shadow in the distance, which was what had chased us. Along with even stopping to film the horror we just witnessed, the idiots also deleted our proof. And for whatever reason, whatever had chased us in the tunnels, even after I apologised, followed me home. That night, while going to bed, a frame fell off my wall. I jumped up, and on my way to get the frame, my bed started shaking. I screamed and heard a groan, and then all movement stopped. Tears in my eyes, I looked around the room to find nothing out of the ordinary other than a broken frame. My mum came into the room alarmed, and I told her the ghosts were redecorating. At last, when I got the guts to turn off the light and lay down, I heard footsteps down the hallway. Now, my house is carpeted, so in order for me to hear footsteps, they'd have to be all but stomping. Whatever was coming was not happy. I cringed whenever whatever it was should have shown up in my doorway, but it never did. The footsteps stopped and I felt like it was staring at me, and the fear in my body was so great that it hurt. The awful feeling rose and I couldn't move, and then the footsteps turned and laughed. With every step it got quieter and the evil disappeared. To this day, I swear I saw my guardian angel appear in the corner of my room, like he always does. But that time, he whispered something, very quietly, very calmly, and very sweetly. Hush. The Devil's Tower While not haunted, I couldn't visit Wyoming without heading to the Devil's Tower, due to its importance and the fact that it was featured in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. According to the Native American tribes of the Kiowa and Lakota, a group of girls went out to play and were spotted by several giant bears, who began to chase them. In an effort to escape the bears, the girls climbed atop a rock, fell to their knees, and prayed to the Great Spirit to save them. Hearing their prayers, the Great Spirit made the rock rise from the ground toward the heavens so that the bears could not reach the girls. The bears, in an effort to climb the rock, left deep claw marks in the sides, which had become too steep to climb. Those are the marks which appear today on the sides of the Devil's Tower. When the girls reached the sky, they were turned into the stars of the Pleiades. Another version tells that two Sioux boys wandered far from their village when Mato the bear, a huge creature that had claws the size of teepee poles, spotted them and wanted to eat them for breakfast. He was almost upon them when the boys prayed to Wakantanka the creator to help them. They rose upon a huge rock, while Mato tried to get up from every side, leaving huge scratch marks as he did. Finally, he sauntered off, disappointed and discouraged. The bear came to rest east of the Black Hills at what is now Bear Butte. Wanbli the eagle helped the boys off the rock and back to their village. A painting depicting this legend by artist Herbert A. Collins 
hangs over the fireplace in the visitor's centre at Devil's Tower. In the Cheyenne version of the story, the giant bear pursues the girls and kills most of them. Two sisters escape back to their home, with the bear still tracking them. They tell two boys that the bear can only be killed with an arrow shot through the underside of its foot. The boys have the sisters lead the bear to Devil's Tower and trick it into thinking they have climbed the rock. The boys attempt to shoot the bear through the foot while it repeatedly attempts to climb up and slides back down, leaving more claw marks each time. The bear was finally scared off when an arrow came very close to its left foot. This last arrow continued to go up into the sky and never came down. Woodenleg, a northern Cheyenne, related another legend told to him by an old man as they were travelling together past the Devil's Tower around 1866-68. A Native American man decided to sleep at the base of Bear Lodge next to a buffalo head. In the morning, he found that both he and the buffalo head had been transported to the top of the rock by the great medicine man with no way down. He spent another day and night on the rock with no food and water. After he prayed all day and then went to sleep, he awoke to find the great medicine had brought him back to the ground, but left the buffalo head at the top near the edge. Woodenleg maintained that the buffalo head was clearly visible through the old man's spyglass. At the time, the tower had never been climbed, and a buffalo head at the top was otherwise inexplicable. The buffalo head gives the story special significance for the northern Cheyenne. All the Cheyenne maintained in their camps a sacred teepee to the great medicine containing the tribal sacred objects. In the case of the northern Cheyenne, the sacred object was a buffalo head. It's also worth noting that the Native American names for the monolith include Bear's House or Bear's Lodge, and the name Devil's Tower wasn't given until 1875, during an expedition led by Richard Irving Dodge. This was because his interpreter misinterpreted the Native American name to mean Bad God's Tower. So, therefore, the Devil's Tower. Experiences in the New Indian House by Nellie 9X I was truly never a spiritual child, but to be honest, I can't really say otherwise, being that I have very few memories of my childhood. About eight years ago, my father moved to a remote area in Wyoming, and I have lived there ever since. After about three of those eight years had passed by, he acquired a new job at a private estate at the foot of a large, uncut forest. The owners of this private estate were absent for ten months out of the year, leaving six log cabins and three mansions behind them to live in an even larger estate in Texas. I tell you one thing, nothing is creepier than those mansions at midnight. They are adorned with every Native American or Inuit statue that you can possibly think of, not to mention the overabundance of small rooms, cupboards and even cabinets that open into mirrors. My family is known for its… variety. My uncle supposedly saw an Indian spirit up on a mountain not far from there. He had a history of that, and a history of mental illness in his side of the family, so no one ever believed him despite what they said. That is, until I was twelve. My father let us play in the mansions when the masters were to be gone for a long time, and he trusted me with being careful of all the expensive paintings and some dull weapons. 
I was a kid, and kids do tend to make imaginary friends. Not that night though. But my young friend and I were infamous for upturning every small opening in an unknown area. And we did it that night, when the adults were staying in a house not more than a hundred yards away. When you are twelve-ish, tired, and completely warm and snug in your bed, you are used to the lights turning off. You don't notice the things like footsteps and lights turning on and off. My pinball machine was in action, and my friend Sarah was sipping on her pop, when we both get the classic hair standing up on the back of our necks. Then the lights flash off, creaks resonate through the house, and we feel completely unsafe. Like at any moment, the statues on the walls would peel off and turn their heads to look at us. We abandoned our pops and ran for the closest corner we could find. A small room with an enclosed door was in our sight, and we ran for it. But inside, the lights were on, and a reflection shone lightly off of the tan-coloured window shades. Yes, the varnished shades shone the reflection of a man in light brown-coloured clothing. We ran for it. The day after, while all the lights were on in the middle of the day, Sarah and I finally made it to the basement, and were promptly finding cupboards to open. Seconds later, I hear a scream. Running over to Sarah, I see the same sight. An obsidian knife, decorated with a red feather plume, hitting the ground. We slammed the door shut and ran, but when we returned, the knife was gone. I tried to avoid that house for a couple of years after. I never told my parents, but rather kept the experience to myself. Then, one or two years ago, Oddly enough, the daughter and son of the owners had actually had an exorcism performed that year, due to their own suspicions of a visit from the dead. The strange thing is, the house was only about nine years old. But hey, we've had our share of deaths in the area, by hunting accident or bears. It just goes to show you, anything can happen. Maybe my uncle wasn't as crazy as we all thought. Hi there guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video, I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like, and also subscribe to the channel, hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. Also, as it's the run-up to Christmas, there will be some slightly festive videos coming to give you those cold Christmas chills. So, until next time, sleep tight.